the Knowledge Resource Podcast. Today we're sitting down with Dr. Ashika Pillay. Ashika, thank you so much for joining us. As I understand, you are an executive coach, a mindfulness teacher, on top of being a medical doctor. You've also achieved your MBA and you are on the board of the Institute of Mindfulness for South Africa. What an incredibly impressive career. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your contribution to the book, The Improving Mental Health in the Workplace book? Thank you so much, Amy, and thank you for inviting me for this opportunity to chat with you. Very passionate about this topic. So uh, to give a bit and a quick uh, snapshot about myself. So I'm a medical doctor by training. I've worked in public and private healthcare, And I spent 10 years in corporate, which I think is where my leadership journey and intrigue in to people development probably started. I left corporate uh, to spend more time with the family and really got uh, pulled into a different type of medicine, integrative and functional medicine, which really looks at root cause disease and, and how do we prevent and manage chronic disease better. And through that journey, found myself uh, studying coaching and mindfulness as a way to really understand how people, uh, why people behave the way they do and how they can change their behavior when they have insight into what they're doing and what they're not doing. So I'm very, very passionate about understanding what makes the human mind work and how that impacts our well-being, our performance, uh, our health in general. So I work um, as an executive coach. I've got a few clients. I have some MBA students that I'm coaching as well. I have some uh, functional and well-being clients who I'm looking at from a chronic disease perspective. And uh, I think most importantly, this journey is very rich because of its applicability to myself. Uh, I'd love to understand my own mind better and uh, mindfulness and meditation training has definitely given me more insight into, into how our minds work or how my mind works, should I say, in, in some way. <laughs> So that's kind of the, the background about, uh, about myself. That's amazing, Ashika. I think all of us would love to understand our minds a little bit more. But you did, in the book, write a whole chapter about how we can, very practical chapter about how we can do so. The chapter is Distraction and Disease. Why don't you take us a little bit through that, just an overview of what your chapter is about. Mm. So, uh, you know, when, uh, when I was approached to, to write a chapter, it kind of just kind of popped up at me that this is one of the things that we're all struggling with. I think at the time, we're very much in the first, I think it was the second wave of COVID and all the lockdowns. And uh, doing presentations for corporate, what I noticed is that a lot of people are really struggling with balance, with understanding how we embrace this online uh, environment and particularly now this hybrid environment around how many things are pulling for our attention and what, how can we become more focused and, and why is it important for us to even focus. So I had read very deeply and widely about the subject even before I was approached, just simply just understanding what gets people to focus better and why it's important. And you know, when you look at why focus is important, it really looks at our mental and our physical well-being. If we don't pay attention to what we're doing, we, we inherently become unhappy 
and we become unhealthy actually in time because when you are focused and when you're intentional about what you're doing, you automatically can make better decisions about your health, about what you eat, about when you exercise or don't, uh, about how you manage your, your mental space better, your mental clutter, I call it, better. And, uh, and I found that in the, um, in the corporate world, people were filled with a lot of clutter. They, their mental space, their physical space, their electronic space is, is full of clutter. So how do we help ourselves to hone our attention, to be able to be more focused and more intentional about what we do? And uh, yeah, so that was kind of the background about, about the book and, and all of the, the things that emerged from, from it. I was quite surprised about the level of detail I actually had probably waiting to be unearthed when I was asked to, to write the chapter. It's so interesting to me, you've mentioned now all the value that there is in focus and attention. But focus and attention is in today's society quite a commodity. It's something that companies are constantly trying to take. And you do mention this attention economy in your chapter. Could you take us a little bit through your thoughts on the attention economy and what it means for us and the workplace specifically? So, you know, I think I wrote it in the chapter or probably mentioned it in one of my talks that actually the most expensive real estate currently in the world is the fight for human attention. Because uh, every app, every electronic platform, every online shopping experience, all of them are fighting uh, really hard to get us hooked. And there's this whole concept called hooked, which is in, uh, in I mentioned in the book as well. And really, the well, it's not a bad thing. I don't think you know people are doing it from evil attention, in, intention. But really, what it is about it's it's this fight for this real estate because when a human being pays attention to a particular resource, they're going to use it more. And of course, that is all commercialized at this point. The more time you spend on Facebook or Instagram or WhatsApp or whatever it is, it's actually around profits for that company. And it is in their interest to keep you hooked and, in, and, and to make it easy for you to use. This is why you have notifications popping up all over the place. You've got to switch the notifications so, so that you don't get drawn constantly into where you don't want to be drawn. So the attention economy is very real. It is something where as we move more and more online and electronic, uh, there's going to be more ways of drawing your attention and pulling for your attention. And, uh, and, and that's the reality of the environment. And it's, it's, it's neither good nor bad. Um, it really is about how we use this tool. So uh, yeah, I think there's probably some curiosity on your part around, around that and I'll, I'll, I'll save that for a bit later. <laughs> well, I would ask you now as well, it's such a prime opportunity for it. What guidelines would you give employees or organizations in terms of using technology for your benefit as opposed to being, being a negative thing? Yeah, and you know, we often, I think what's very important is about the skill that we bring to our lives and, and what it is that we want to do. Uh, you're, you're not a victim, a helpless victim uh, to your phone or to your iPad or whatever it is. And when we decide that we are victims, that's when we become the so-called distracted and unfocused uh, generation of, of, human, of human beings walking the planet currently. Uh, we always have intention and we always have the capacity 
to be clear about what it is that we want. So when we are unclear, in fact, in his book, Indestructible, which I mentioned quite a few times in the chapter, Nir Eyal, what he says in the book is that the opposite of distraction is not actually focus. The opposite of distraction is actually traction. And, uh, and what does traction actually mean? Traction means being pulled towards that which you want rather than being um, ceaselessly bombarded by notifications and getting constantly drawn out into other areas where you don't want. And technology is merely a symptom of this age of how distractible the human mind is. But when we were not distracted by, by smart technology, we were probably distracted by other things. Um, and we can be distracted by internal triggers, meaning things ruminating in our minds all the time. So, you know, you, you have an incident with a, with a relative or a relationship that's kind of pulling for your attention, and that's what pulls you. And 80% of our attention can be pulled from an internal resource. So, for example, as we sit here, you and I are pretty focused on this conversation because we've created a boundary around our time. We are engaged in, in that you're listening intently to me and I'm listening intently to you to be able to respond appropriately. Uh, yet, if it was just a you know something that I was busy with on my desk, my phone is on, and there isn't an intentionality about ring fencing our time and attention. And as we sit here, your thoughts would be probably going somewhere, and then it would return back. So, how do we allow ourselves to return back to that which is important to us? So, it's an internal trigger which can make our thoughts go off, and then the external triggers, which, for example, are noises outside the buzzer just going off in my house as I sit here uh, could pull for my attention. And how do I bring it back to focus and to be clear that this is where I want my attention to be? So, you know, the, the important thing for organizations and people in, in managing their time and attention in a purposeful way is to be clear about what it is they want and to know that you're not a slave to your technology. It's a wonderful tool to be able to uh, for us to work and do what we're doing immediately right now but how do we how do we bring skill into using this tool to serve us rather than for us to be slaves to it it's such an interesting thought and it's so I, I don't want to use the word obvious but it does seem like we should know that we should set our time apart and have intention but i think it's such a habit in today's workplace and in today's world to just be on your phone constantly or think about a thousand things at once. But this does introduce the concept that you do speak about in your chapter, which is the concept of flow. And I thought, I thought it was such an interesting concept, especially how it relates to us not actually being able to multitask at all. Would you take us a little bit through this concept and what you mean about flow and about not being able to multitask? So firstly, I want to congratulate you because you really read my chapter very intensely. <laughs> so I, I think you were paying full attention to, to the chapter and, and really quite a few very important concepts uh, landed with you. And, and, and that is not something, even as you say it, to be taken for granted because, <clears throat> for example, our, our attention could be pulled even when we're reading something. Uh, I'm sure you've had the experience when you open a book and you read it and you're like, well, I've read this thing five times, but it's not just sinking in. And that is exactly how distractible our minds are. When you put an intention 
to focus, to be fully engaged, to want to learn from this particular chapter, for example, then you it, it automatically starts to safeguard your focus and your attention and your engagement with the material. But to get on to your topic on, on flow or your question around flow, so flow was a concept that was popularized by a psychologist who actually recently passed away, Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi. And really what it is, it's about, what he speaks about is a peak experience. Flow is around really getting to that experience where I'm sure you've had this time in your life when you felt in the zone, you know, where you were in flow, where somebody had to knock on the door or give you a call or ask you, hey, what's going on? You've been stuck on this thing for two hours and you look at your clock and you think, wow, I mean, two hours? I don't even know how that time just went by. So flow is, a, is, is called the peak experience. And it's actually the state of actually what he calls it optimal well-being. When we are operating at our absolute best, when we are giving it all, when what he importantly defines the challenge in the work that we're doing or whatever it is we're doing and our resources match. So what we find is we find a level of engagement with this topic. And, and actually, uh, there's a book called Deep Work, um, which talks about how we bring the really the, the most deep understanding of that which we're doing into, into our daily life. And that, that can't be done in a time of distraction that the, the quality of our work is dependent not only on the time that we, we spend on the work, but also on the intensity of the focus that we bring to that particular uh, piece of work or whatever it is that we're doing. You could even be in flow when you're in a conversation. You could be in flow when you are with your kids or whatever. It really is about deep engagement, intensity of focus. And, and flow is really important for us to level up and to become better because when we when we when we master that which we are busy with because of the intensity of our focus laser like focused then we we learn better and we can we can add more value to the work that we're doing and actually change the world in in a way really living at our full potential and and that's what i love about that concept because it really talks about about transcendence and about being really the best that we can possibly be in any given situation. So I hope I've answered that question, but uh, I feel like I've rambled on a little bit as well. <laughs> no, I do think you've given a lot of insight to the concept as a whole. And it's such, I think it's something everyone strives for. And of course, if we're thinking about in the workplace specifically, it applies to individuals as well, but in the workplace, You've mentioned that the workplace can affect flow and attention and productivity in this way. If a company would like to optimize their workplace for their employees in terms of that, in terms of their employees' physical well-being, their attention, their ability to get into a flow, what would you suggest to that organization? What are some practical things that they can do to make that an easier process for their employees? Hmm. Wonderful question, and I think I did touch on some bits of it in the chapter as well. <clears throat> I think the most important thing is actually taking a step back. That you know, when you're managing employee performance, well-being, it just can't be a uh, uh, something that you say. It's got to be something that the company really values, and this is part of the culture of the organization. So it, it requires leaders in an organization to be clear 
about what it is they want as a company, what values do they stand for, and how do they very importantly live those values? Because it's it's all good and well to say, oh, employee well-being, wonderful. We've got this program going. We're giving this book to people. Managers, please go on a training course. And, and what happens is the manager or the leaders are WhatsApping you at um, 10 o'clock at night. And people are expecting this always on culture where, like, why did you not respond to me? I, I sent you an email to two minutes ago and where's the response that that is not the company culture that shows intentionality of purpose of clarity of vision of really caring about not only their employees but about the work that they're doing so really it comes down to walking the talk and being clear and leaders of the organization actually uh, embodying this the sense of we care and I think it actually comes down as simple to as simple as that. We care. I care about you, about the organization that I have. And when you get that right, everything else flows. Because if you really care, if you're, a, for example, a pharmaceutical company or a bank, and if you really want to live that vision statement that's underneath your tagline, whatever it is, you know, think better, do better, live better, whether it's a green organization or whatever, uh, it's really about being being very authentic about what, what it is you want. Because when you are, you will be able to speak from an authentic voice about how you care about your employees, and they will feel that. Uh, so purpose of, of company culture is important. Leaders walking the talk is very important. I, I like simple practical things like, for example, if you're in a meeting and if you start a meeting with 20 people on the meeting, take, a, take time to pause ask the question, what is this meeting about? Can we actually land in this meeting at this point? You can take five seconds even, and you've shifted people's biochemistry because they've gone from one to-do thing to the next, and they're able to now go, okay, I can be here. Can you be fully present in that meeting? Uh, having what I call mindful meetings. And uh, <clears throat> I also uh, advocate or, or suggest that people look at what the organizational clutter is. So a lot of times people talk about this death by meetings thing in a corporate, you know, where it's like one after another and you do the work, you know, when you're asleep. But really it's about intentionality there as well. How many meetings do we have? What do we need to do in these meetings? Do we actually need this many? And, and be intentional about checking in on people, seeing how they are, creating this culture where they know when I sit in my meeting with my, my boss or my manager or whatever, my phone is off because her phone is off. When I look at people, I'm intentional. I'm, in, I'm engaging them, looking at their eyes, looking at their body language. I know it sounds a bit airy-fairy and probably not directly related, but when somebody isn't engaged, you, they look distracted. You know, you know these people who you go in and you go, oh, okay, I'll come back another time because it looks like you've got other important things. So really it is about the intentionality. It's about the leadership. It's about decluttering the organization so that people's attention aren't pulled in different ways. It's about the, the not always on culture because that's not good for, for employees. It's about advocating personal well-being, ensuring that people have the time to, I've, I've said it during the conference talk that we gave, but it's not just a one thing. It's not about switching your phone off. This is a symptom of where something else is out of alignment and harmony in, in life. 
So your mind, helping your mind, training your mind, training your attention, meditation, mindfulness, wonderful uh, ways of, of being with yourself in a different way. Um, and there's so much to talk around and how you help yourself mentally. From a body perspective, if you don't eat right, if you don't exercise, and if you don't sleep, you can be rest assured that you will be distracted the next day because your biochemistry is working against you rather than with you. So the blue light from the phone affects the melatonin in your brain, which affects the whole hormonal system of the body. So if you don't sleep and eight hours is what is recommended, the data is clear that it's not five, it's not six, it's not seven, it's at least eight hours. It's, it's, it's deep uh, restorative sleep that we need. Um, if you eat unprocessed foods, if you eat, uh, processed foods, sorry, if you eat uh, badly, if you eat high sugar foods, it's going to affect your attention. That's the bottom line. And if you don't exercise, um, exercise is the magic pill for well-being. Uh, so it manages your biochemistry, it manages your physical well-being. And um, <clears throat> and the last one is really around purpose. Why are you here? What are you doing this job for? What is this organization here for? And are we living into our values? Are we really an authentic embodied organization. Sure, quite a lot to unpack there, Ashiga, but it's so helpful and I think it's so insightful the way you speak about it. And I would like to compliment you as well. Your entire chapter is a very compassionate chapter. It's never pointing the finger and saying, you're doing this wrong. It's just saying there are ways to do it better. And on the topic of ways to do it better, you've mentioned a couple of them now. Do you have any strategies on the employee side? If you find yourself perhaps in a culture that isn't as conducive to wellness and mindfulness, as unfortunately I'm sure many South Africans do find themselves in, what are some strategies that the employee can implement to safeguard their own mental well-being in that space? Wonderful and very insightful question. I think we all find ourselves at time doing things that we may not actually want to do or like to do. So. It is really important that, firstly, you get clear on, on creating an intention for the day. Let's just start practically. You start at the beginning of the day and you say, well, today, this is what I want to get through. You, you make sure that you, you use your time uh, profitably in that your attention is a very labile resource. You know this. If you wake up in the morning and you start reading on WhatsApp about all sorts of catastrophes happening in the world, you've automatically changed your perspective for the day. So safeguard what it is you spend. Create time when you can be on your social media or whatever it is on, but make those times not the most important. Like when you wake up, that's the most actually highly energized time of the day for you. So start your day right. Uh, don't get onto your social media the minute you start. Create an intention. So have a little book. I have um, you know, uh, what you call it, little uh, journals on the side of my book. What is my intention for today? This is what I want to do. A very practical thing that, for example, Nirial talks about is, is rather than create to-do lists, create a schedule plan. So instead of saying today, I've got this long list of stuff that I need to get through in the day, what you do is say, okay, between nine and 10, I'm going to work on this project. And, and between 10 and 11, I'm going to work on sending emails and when between 11 and 12 I'm going to you know pay my bills or whatever it is you're allowed to do or not to do at work so you you manage your day based on when you know your your, your best and the deep work comes from having that intention scheduling it rather than to-do lists managing your clutter 
turning this phone off for 45 minutes, turn it face up, the world is not going to end. I promise you I've done it. It doesn't end. So switching off all notifications and, and, and then having the time to respond to whomever thought the world was going to end if you didn't respond, uh, but the, the right time for you. Uh, very importantly, clearing your desk of clutter. Very important because when your desk is full of stuff, it's pulling for your attention as well. Closing your door, managing your external environment, very important. Telling people around you guys, I really know that we, it's important for us to do whatever. I need 45 minutes of deep work time. And then we can talk about, you know, whatever it is we need to talk about. I mean, they've even, we've even had suggestions of putting on headphones if you're in a busy environment, like a call center or whatever, where you can put in headphones that are noise canceling. And um, yeah, so, you know, those are some of the very practical ways of, of creating focus and attention and safeguarding your attention, really safeguarding it from the millions of beeps, bleeps, alerts. And that's not just from your phone. <laughs> it's from your family members, your coworkers, etc., and uh, and and maybe somebody will learn from you as well. Sure, so many insights, practical things we can apply. Thank you so much, Atika, for joining us today. Anyone who's listening or viewing this video, you are more than welcome to go and buy the book. It's available in an ebook format and in a physical format. And just once again, thank you so much for sitting down with us, Ashika. I'm so much looking forward to what you're going to do with the rest of your career. It's been so interesting to follow so far. Thank you so much, Amy. It was such a pleasure. And thank you for reading and for really uh, embodying the work. And I really hope it makes a difference to you as well. Thank you for listening to a Knowledge Resource Podcast. For more insights into the working world and beyond, be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn and Facebook.